All right, guys, welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons, and I'm introing with none other than Miss Lexi Miller, my co-host and uh, one of our amazing endurance coaches over here at Lifelong Endurance. And today we're getting super nerdy. I think this is an episode that uh, I've put together, kind of collected some notes and put little things together to try and explain some physiology and explain one of the things that gets really confusing for people as they start walking down the path of endurance athletics is fatigue and why can't we do it forever and why, you know, I want to, I'm doing my first 5k, uh, I'll do a hundred miles by the end of the end of the year and why it doesn't always add up like that why we have to take easy days. This one goes into the actual reasons from physiological standpoint. So Lexi, are you ready to get nerdy? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, you know, I always listen to these when I, when I edit them and you know, I can, I'm going to be honest with you, Andrew, I'm worried I won't stay awake for this one. Is it, is it going to be, you know, understandable or am I going to need to like have a, a biology book next to me? Well, let's just say we're going to expand the people's vocabulary. We're going to talk about uh, pyruvate. We're going to talk about adenosine triphosphate, adenosine uh, diphosphate. Um, We've got, I mean, we're going to talk about lactate. What else we got in my notes here? Um, We talk about sprinting. I think this is one of those cool things, anaerobic and aerobic metabolism. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, there's a couple questions that come up quite often. Um, I don't know if you had any, uh, yeah. you know, common questions when you're mm-hmm. coaching. So, I mean, one of the things is fatigue is a vague term, right? Like I think that when we say fati- fatigue to a general athlete, it might, they might think of something different. How does it show up in your context? You know, I think in, in this episode, you know, a lot of people attune fatigue to tiredness and the way that we talk about fatigue in this episode is actually the idea of like, Fatigue is when our body from a neuromuscular standpoint stops being able to hit that rhythm or contract muscle fiber because we're, we've dumped so much lactate into our legs sprinting, let's say, um, you know, our body stops being able to fire or contract those muscles because it has become so saturated with lactate. It's an acidic environment and we stop being able to do that. Like that's fatigue, not just huh, kind of tired. This, this is a long run. This is 18 miles. This, that's, that's different. Um, what else, what else do you see as a coach? Yeah. So, I mean, then there's always the, the issue of like kind of painful muscles, um, or just feeling achy and tired. Uh, so sometimes that goes away when you start running and other times it doesn't. Why is that? Well, you know, that's actually one of the cool things in this episode, because we talk about the idea of metabolism. We talk about like the fact that we, we leave things behind in our muscles after a workout, right? There's a couple of things that can happen. Um, when we're working out and doing an actual workout, like sprinting or repeat 400s or 800s, we produce a higher level of lactate. And basically when we do that, we kind of have this, these leftovers, if you want to think of it like that, that stick around in our legs. And sometimes that's like junk. That's not lactate. It's not lactate still in your legs. Like there's the acidic environment that's created, but basically we create metabolic waste. If we push hard enough, 
that's when we can have those like muscle, small, small muscle tears, the ones that are good for us. And sometimes those get stuck together, right? Those are adhesions and things like that. Maybe we push just a little too hard. Those are muscle knots. Those are things that happen as part of the breakdown of glycogen. There's little bits and pieces that get left behind because it's imperfect. Um, and then we kind of reabsorb and re and metabolize those. That's why when we talk about fatigue, we can't not talk about recovery. Um, and there's a lot of theories. Um, and I know one of the theories that we talk about in this episode, um, have you ever read Tim Noakes book, uh, lore of running? I believe I listened to the audiobook, which is similar to reading. That is very close. Uh, for those that are out there, Tim Noakes wrote kind of this book literally called the lore of running. And it's about as thick as a, you know, a Mason jar. Like it is, it is a, about probably five or six inches thick in paperback. Um, and one of the things that he talks about in that episode is the central governor theory. And it's this, this idea that like your brain will override your physical ability to run and it'll shut down before you do any real damage. And when I say real damage, that doesn't mean that you can't tear a muscle. That doesn't mean uh, that you won't throw up afterwards because you've flooded your stomach with uh, a high level of super acidic lactate. It means that you're not going to run out of adenosine triphosphate and your body's no longer going to be able to do a chemical reaction. Um, you know, that's, that is, that is, you know, the central governor theory there that you're not going to uh, upset the, the balance of being a human uh, at the end of the day. So, um, you know, fatigue is related to a lot of things that we've talked about lately. I think back to your burnout episode, um, you know, and even like perfect form, our formal breakdown, um, you know, we talked about that in the, in the last episode with coach Katie, um, from your standpoint, Lexi, what was kind of, you know, if you had one or think of off the top of your head, what was like one of those realizations as a coach that you're like, you know, you're out for a run doing Hills and you're like, Oh, like I'm actually experiencing lactate in my legs. Like, did you ever, have you ever had one of those like little experiences where you're like, Oh, I'm actually living the physiology of what I understand as a coach. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, usually with speed work, it doesn't feel as apparent, right? Because we're like kind of getting that, like our legs turn over, turning over a little bit quicker. I think of more like when I've been doing lots of miles training for, for an ultra or a big event like that. And I'm purposely going into runs fatigued, but then you just like go to do a, a shakeout race or you go to do a hard run that you've been doing, like, you know, a very hilly climbing run that you've been doing all summer and you just can't get your legs moving. You end up, you know, having to hike a ton, extremely hungry, uh, just not feeling it. And, and I really related to kind of like just a heavy feeling in my legs more than like yep. that pain. Right. And that's like completely different than, you know, the heaviness that comes from legs that just got done sprinting, right? Your legs are heavy because they've, they've been, they've fired so often, right? Hours and hours of contraction. Whereas sprinting, it's actually, you feel like you slow down and you're sluggish because you've got all this waste and acid and like you have to, your body has to neutralize it. Like those are both relevant and equal fatigue. Uh, one is a very chronic, right? And one of them is very acute. So uh, we definitely dive into that in this episode. So this is one I'm super excited. If you're a nerdy person, if you like talking about physiology, I think it's going to be a really fun episode. Um, I think the last thing to say, Lexi, here is 
Where can the people find us before they jump into this episode? Yeah. So we are on Defining Endurance on Instagram. Uh, one word, just just check us out there. We also have at Lifelong Endurance, which is our coaching company. We are coaches. Uh, I think we mentioned that frequently, but I'm never sure we mentioned it enough. You know, we always, uh, every coach at a party, right? You know, because they say so. Um, Vegans was, and coaches. I think that, yeah, I was going to say, I think I got that joke about ski instructors and just, you know, whatever. Uh, and then... We do have a Facebook page. We don't use it a ton because who's on Facebook, really? Yeah, uh, and true. then you can always write to us on our, uh, you can always write to us on the podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, if you want to see a particular episode, please tell us because we always need some inspiration. Always looking for it. You guys can always hop into the DMs if you guys want. Slide into our DMs with questions or insights. If you've got somebody that's like, hey, you guys should talk to this person. Or if you want to earn extra points uh, as a super fan of the pod, provide us with an introduction to somebody. That is a, a huge thing that always helps us, um, You know, whether that's getting a hold of somebody or things like that. Like If someone's done something really cool, you feel like they've got a story to tell, you can always email us, uh, coaches at lifelongendurance.com or slide into those DMs. Uh, and we would try to check those as often as we can. Uh, Lexi and I are the secret people behind our social media accounts, if you haven't guessed. Uh, but yeah, Lexi, let's jump into today's episode. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not so fast, Andrew. Before we hop into today's episode, Lexi Miller here with a special announcement. With our company, Lifelong Endurance, we are offering a $50 off your first month of training with any of our coaches. We have an extremely awesome team of triathlon, trail, road, marathon, adventure coaches on our staff ready to help you on your next event or big race. So go to our website, lifelongendurance.com, check out our coaches, see which one fits you best, and go ahead and sign up. You can use the code SUMMER50. Again, that's SUMMER50. Anytime before July 4th for that $50 off your very first month of training, off of any plan for any coach. See you there. All right, all right, guys. Welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance Podcast. I am your host, Coach Andrew Simmons from Lifelong Endurance. And today, we're going to go from basic to complex. We're going to talk all about fatigue, building fitness. And we're going to do that at a bit of a biology level. We're going to talk a little physiology, a little biology. If you're looking for a nerdy one, today's the day. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into some stuff. I'm going to start with some really basic things and then move up. Uh, if you're joining us uh, on YouTube uh, or just joining us from the podcast space of things, uh, this should be a really good one. You're going to kind of have to imagine a little bit of cellular bi biology here for a little bit, but it'll all make sense on the backside of things here. Uh, and I'm actually really excited for this one because this really will help kind of bring together a lot of the ideas that I talk about here about why we have to be consistent about why we need to look at our training at a level of both very slow, very hard, very fast, and kind of understanding what's going on with the middle there. Um, one of the articles that I first wrote and one of the things that I think first got me uh, a little bit of attention in, in the internet space was actually an article called um, The Gray Zone, basically. Um, I think it was titled Avoiding the Plateau uh, you know, training in the gray zone. And basically, uh, this has been an idea that Matt Fitzgerald has shared as part of the 80-20 endurance group, uh, as well as many others. Uh, and mine is that you know, zone three tends to be this area where um, we can train in it, 
every once in a while, but we should not always be training there. And this will all come into play at the very back end of this podcast, but a lot of people have asked me why, and I've really avoided uh, you know, going in depth in an article or things like that, because there is so much here about why I feel the way I do when it comes to this specific process, the specific design of my training, uh, and the specific principles that I really think are what make training really important, what also helps us get results year after year from the marathon and beyond all the way down to the mile. Uh, and what it really comes back to is understanding the physiology of why are we doing this? So let's start really, really basic here. The number one thing that we have to agree upon here is that we're looking at this from an endurance perspective. So I'm really only going to talk about aerobic and anaerobic metabolism today. Uh, and the reality here is that uh, we're, we're looking at this from a process of saying that fatigue is generated on a spectrum, and it really comes down to four variables. The three are probably ones that you know really well, but probably wouldn't consider this fourth one. You know, the, the main three for me are intensity, frequency, duration, and actually the fourth variable here that gets, doesn't get enough attention when we're talking about training is rest. And this is rest both from a physical sleep perspective, a rest day perspective, a rest week perspective, but also our rest in intervals. So this is looking at rest as a whole. Now, when we think of intensity, it's often considered how hard you're going. So this intensity piece would be, you know, very easy to very hard. When we think frequency, it's how often we're applying a stress. Now, if you know me, I'm a big training peaks guy. And one of the principles that they use is a thing called TSS or training stress score. And what we're doing is we're scoring our workouts based on intensity and looking at it as a function of your threshold or your aerobic threshold. So that comes into play. The next thing here is is looking at duration. So how long are we applying that? And so that is the other big piece of defining training stress is we can generate a lot of training stress either uh, going very intense for a short amount of time, very intense for a moderate amount of time, but we can rarely go very, very intense for a very long time. At the end of the day, very intense and a long time don't really go together. And we'll talk about why that really isn't possible and truly saying high intensity versus more moderate aerobic threshold type workouts. But duration is how long you're applying a stress. Most of you guys would think long, slow distance, right? That'd be a long duration. Now, this last piece here, which is rest, a lot of you guys are going, yeah, I get it, resting. But it's really kind of, for me, the de denominator of denominative, denominative, there's a hard word for you, say that three times fast. Uh, it is the denominative variable. Basically, how long are you recovering from any one of these variables, whether that's intensity, frequency, or duration? And this is really what defines your ability to adapt. So in the start of a training cycle, you may be able to do three by a mile on you know three minutes. By the end of that cycle, what is your rest period to be able to hit those same times or even faster? And so that rest period changes and that rest period changes alongside our adaptation. So when we bring this all back, how do we really build fitness? Well, it's fluctuating a function of those three things. But where we're going to get to today, as I said, this is the basics. We're going to get really complex here in a little bit, is also thinking about what does fatigue look like in another space? If we can agree that intensity, frequency, and duration and rest are the main four, what about mental fatigue? What about emotional fatigue? If you've been out there for a while, you've experienced these, you start to not be able to think quite as well or think quite as clearly. This plays into fatigue. 
But this isn't really something that we can per se say, this is the Krebs cycle or this is that. This is just now we have these things. It's like, I mean, this is getting very difficult for me. I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm, I'm not in this race anymore when we're talking about the very intense, like maybe a mile race and you have to be very competitive for a very short amount of time and you have to stay mentally engaged. How do you deal with the mental fatigue? So fatigue can take a lot of different shapes in the space of training and racing. But what we're going to focus on today is we're going to kind of take and move away from the mental emotional side, which is a place that we've been talking about a lot. And we're actually going to move into a more scientific space. And so we first have to then agree that this is really about the endurance athlete, right? And endurance is about our ability to resist fatigue. I'll say it again. Endurance is our ability to resist fatigue. So if we want to build better endurance, we're trying to build a body that can better resist fatigue. Basically, that means that it is very efficient, that it is both fuel efficient, but also mechanically efficient. So our running form and mechanics are just as important as our body's fueling strategies. Now, this does look a little bit at how do we turn fuel, carbs, fat, and protein into glucose, which is our body's main fuel source. And so today we're going to talk about glycolysis and gluconeogenesis, fat oxidation, things like that. But really the thing that's most important to understand is that you still do need to fuel the body. And that is a lot of what goes on behind the scenes when we start to think about how do we go through glycolysis? How do we get better at going through glycolysis? And ultimately, at the end of the day, we're talking about ATP, adenosine triphosphate. We're talking about slow twitch fibers. We're talking about fast twitch fibers. And then ultimately, how do we buffer and better understand how do we get better at these processes? So let's dive into this. We're going to talk all about the ATP ADP cycle uh, and this energy transfer cycle and all three main parts of how do we go from a single glucose molecule to producing 36 ATP. Uh, and I will try to be as clear and concise on this. This is a heady topic. This is a, a topic that if you have had a little bit of biology will make sense to you. If you haven't, I'm going to try and use some analogies that'll hopefully make some sense to you. Um, but let's dive into this. Um, and I, and I think that the last thing I'll say when it, when it comes down to this is that, um, when we always think of these, um, when we, when we think of these processes happening, we always think that there's some finality to it that, oh, there must be an end state. And what I want to bring up before we dive into the, the kind of more complex side of things here is that Tim Noakes has this great theory, uh, the central governor theory, basically saying that your brain will override your physical ability to run and will shut you down before any real damage is done. Now, here's the thing. That's physiological damage, meaning you're never going to run out of ATP. Your body's never going to fully run out of glucose to be able to go through glycolysis. So your body's going to shut down before that happens, and it's going to slow you down and get you to a place where your heart rate's low enough that you can go through a regenerative process. Now, that doesn't mean that your body's not going to allow you to have a muscle tear, that you're not going to, you know, sheer tendon from bone. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, your body will give you some signals, but you can choose to ignore those. We're talking about actual physical, like depleting all of your ATP, just not going to happen. And that's really kind of the central governor theory, as well as uh, all the other things we'll talk about here. There's this underlying theory that your body isn't going to let you get to the very end game, which is completely zero, 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 like none left in your whole body. It has all been actioned. Um, so it's all been reacted, I should say. Um, 
So let's let's kind of take a step into biology. Um, you know, I, I want to be clear, like I'm not a physiologist. I am not a biologist. I'm a coach and I coach people. But the thing is, is that all of us go through these reactions while we're all sitting here. We're going through the Krebs cycle. We're going through, you know, the electron transport. And I, I just think it's really important that we we really look at this as steps. And I think really the, the cool thing here is that when we, we try to understand uh, cellular respiration and ATP and those things, um, we, we can start to kind of think of these things in fun ways. Uh, the first thing I'll say here is as we dive into the physiology is that uh, glucose. What is glucose? Um, we can talk all about, you know, carbon and hydrogen and all of those different things. We're not going to quite go there today because that gets really, really deep into amino acids and a lot of other stuff. We're going to keep it relatively high level, but deep. So, uh, you know, we're kind of at the, uh, we're halfway in the ocean here. So what we'll say is that step one is really that our bodies love glucose and it's, it's most of the food we eat is converted from glucose through the process of glycolysis. Uh, when we think about fat, that is uh, an aerobic metabolism, and we actually have to go through gluconeogenesis, which is slightly different. And basically, um, I'm going to mess up this word, uh, lipolysis. Um, so we have to have the presence of water uh, to be able to convert fat into glucose. Um, and one of the big things I'll say here is this goes back into uh, training and nutrition is that when we have things that are high in protein and high in fat, we have to really make sure that our, our heart rate is relatively low to process these things. So thinking about longer races, if you have struggled with a high heart rate and not being able to digest food, it's one real big thing to consider is you need to have a lot of blood in your upper intestine, as well as a large amount of hydration to be able to metabolize that fat and protein. So what I will say there is that for very, very hot races, one of the best things you can do because our heart rate's already going to be higher because we're trying to keep ourselves cooler is really start to think about maybe transitioning more towards simple carbs, especially for daytime hot sections of races. Simple, simple carbs are going to be the things that we're going to most easily digest. And then as things cool down and our natural like heart rate is going to come down as well, we can start to think about more fatty foods um, and more complex foods uh, that are going to allow us to uh, get that blood into our gut and keep our heart rate low because as our heart rate goes up, we shunt blood away from the gut because we're going through glycolysis. We're using the glycogen that is in our legs to fuel us. And so that is usually the first fuel source that we utilize is our onboard glycogen stores. And so that is that is really kind of what I wanted to kind of preface uh, all of this with is that we're first using our onboard stores. And then when we're taking in food, whether that's a gel or just general nutrition, we have to convert and break those things down. Now, when it's already a sugar, like say a gel pack that goes through faster and that kind of hits us faster. But again, right, we get an insulin response. Those things can act like rocket fuel and those things can, um, they can be very good and very effective when necessary, but for longer races, gels are not always the way to go. Uh, if you go back to our Max King episode, I believe he finished the Western States 100 on gels alone. And I want to say that was 72 gels which is disgusting. Max, you, I'm glad you fixed that. I'm glad you figured out your nutrition, but that is a whole lot. That is a lot for your body to handle and manage, even though it's doing the process of glycolysis all the time. So step one, we can agree that the process of glycolysis um, is, 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 is the main process here. Now, we have to create a specific form 
of, of energy and stored energy. And this is where adenosine triphosphate comes into play. And I'm not going to talk truly through the ATP ADP cycle because I'm not, uh, I'm not really great at my cellular biology, but I'm just trying to give you guys a high level. Um, so adenosine triphosphate, it's kind of like the currency of cellular biology. Uh, ATP kind of runs, runs the game here. Um, and everything we do comes at a cost. So again, let's go back to intensity, frequency, and duration. We either have very high cost, you know, short spending items, um, you know, and that's going to require a, a lot of ATP to continue going, as well as the long duration slow is still going to come at a high cost when you finish your run. It's just how do you choose to spend that currency? But no matter what, the currency is ATP. That is like the US dollar. You can't show up to Best Buy and try to buy a pair of headphones with, you know, rupees or, you know, uh, a peso, you can't do that and and have it work here in the U.S. You have to show up and have U.S. dollars because otherwise they're going to be like, we I can't do this. It's like setting the hope diamond on the table and say figure it out. Like that's not reasonable. And so the the thing that we're looking at here is that ATP is basically our currency. Now step three here is really looking at when ATP converts to ADP. That is the release of energy. And so that is kind of like step layer one is the ATP ADP cycle. And so when we think about this bank account, right, our currency is ATP is that what is the return on investment then? And you have to spend money, but you first have to figure out how do we invest it. And so when we think about glycolysis, um, glycolysis really needs the investment of two ATPs uh, in order to work uh, in an end game, generate four ATPs and two pyruvates and a couple other things, but we're going to leave it to two ATPs uh, and two pyruvates. Um, so in the end, four and two. So if you're keeping score at home. Um, and, and what we have to, to now move into is this understanding is that we're looking at this from an aerobic, aerobic perspective and saying that glycolysis can happen with or without. But when we're thinking about the presence of oxygen, that is going to be aerobic glycolysis without oxygen, anaerobic. Um, and so real quickly, I'll touch on this is that in most anaerobic processes that we're thinking of, um, from a, uh, a chemistry perspective, um, if you're thinking about, uh, anaerobic fermentation, which is basically what we go through, um, when we produce lactic acid, uh, we see that in other processes like fermenting beer and the outcome there is alcohol. Um, and so, if we were that same way, basically working out would get us drunk, right? When that, that, that production process is a very similar chemical reaction, except we produce lactic acid and we, we want to always, our muscles want to live in this great homeostasis. And so that, that acidic environment starts to slow things down and starts to be the thing that slows us down. And we'll talk about that in the later process here, but it's important to note that we are not the only thing that goes through this process, this, this biological, um, reaction. Um, and so ultimately, uh, instead of, uh, you know, an anaerobic process producing alcohol, we produce lactic acid. So let's, let's move into anaerobic again for just a second. Um, and we, we personally move into anaerobic when our muscles utilize all the available oxygen 
Um, and when our tissues become saturated with lactic, uh, we're unable to get enough ATP to continue firing nerve impulses. And this is why we can't sprint forever. It's why we are forced to slow down. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it at the very end, but basically anaerobic glycolysis produces about 5% the amount of ATP that aerobic glycolysis does. So when we think about eating fat, it does produce a lot of ATP, but we can't do it at a very high rate. That's why you can't eat a lot of fat and sprint and have a high heart rate, right? It really, it's, it's a slower process and demands that to get that ATP that we want, right? That big bank account, we have to use simple carbohydrates. And so that's why inside our legs, we have glycogen stores. And what we are trying to do through training is build up our natural glycogen stores and build up our ability to not only empty our glycogen stores, but refill them. And so we can talk about where does that come into play with how we train. Um, but when we think anaerobic, the nerve impulse piece here is the most important part is that once that ATP starts to not be able to be taken up, right, that the presence of uh, pyruvidic aka lactic acid, shows up, it starts to slow down the ability of our nerve impulses to fire. Basically, it slows down our, our muscles' ability to contract. And so if we were to go out and try to sprint as hard as we could, we would feel that our, our legs are naturally slowing down underneath us. That signal, that nerve impulse signal is slowed down because we've entered an acidic environment. And that ATP cycle can't happen as efficiently because... We have those hydrogen ions that are present. And so that acidic environment, our body starts to go into Tim Noakes method uh, here and basically say, we got to shut it down. You're starting to get too acidic and we can push through that to a certain point, but then eventually we're going to slow down naturally. We just, we can't keep pushing. And eventually we either slow down to the point of going back to aerobic uh, metabolism um, or we will completely shut down and, you know, our body will kind of force us to kind of black out and, We'll start our, uh, we'll, our heart rate will naturally come down and we'll go back to it. So either way, we will return to an aerobic metabolism. Um, but that is basically why we can't sprint for a whole marathon at whatever, you know, super high end pace. So that's really kind of step six is that understanding that that nerve impulse piece is what really controls um, our, our body's uh, ability to, to sprint and keep moving. That's why for aerobic metabolism, we can do it for a really long time. Because the we never get that saturation point where our bodies can't process uh, the the pyruvate uh, that's building up. Uh, you know, aerobically we're we're constantly managing it, so there's no issue with that whatsoever. Um, so let me let me finish up with my notes here. If you guys think that I have this all memorized, like I have it conceptually, but of course I gotta I want to make good notes for you. I want to make a really good podcast for you guys. So pardon the, the, the ruffles there. So let's get into kind of the, the step seven here. And we're really close. I only got nine steps for you guys. Um, and, and so understanding that, that aerobic initial process of where we generate those four ATPs is Krebs cycle. And then finally to get to our big aerobic metabolism, where do we go from four to 36 to 38? That's through electron transport. That is really where our friend, powerhouse of the cell, yes, you know him very well as mitochondria, really shows up. And so glycolysis, Krebs cycle, electron transport, those are the three main ways, uh, I should say, that is the the process by which we generate all of our energy uh, in glycolysis. Uh, so 
that's that is really glycolysis, Krebs cycle, electron transport. That is kind of seen as our our energy cycle of how we take food and create it into usable energy and fuel. So mitochondria and how many we have is really important. So a big part of training should then be how do we increase mitochondrial density inside our bodies, right? That's a, that's kind of a hard one to think about is that we want to increase mitochondrial density. So through the Krebs cycle is, is where we convert pyruvate uh, to create two more ATP. So we started with two, Krebs cycle happens, that's how we get to four, right? So we're converting pyruvate. And again, if we're producing a ton of pyruvate and anaerobic uh, metabolism, we can't keep up at some point, okay? So electron transport now, so we've, we've gone, that's, I, Krebs cycle is very short on that. You can go and dive into all that. But now we're going to talk electron transport. And this is where the meat of it happens is that this is where ATP is truly like really made. Um, basically, it's the most efficient way for us to produce 34 additional ATPs. Um, and so this is kind of where we bring out the accountants. Uh, we made two ATP uh, for each pyruvate and glycolysis. We made two in the Krebs cycle. And then in the electron transport, we made 34. And that's for one molecule, one molecule of glucose, right? So one to 34 ratio. So the process of glycolysis is super, super efficient. When we're going to go back here real quick to anaerobic metabolism, and it's inefficient um, because it is an anaerobic process. Uh, so ATP is produced at a much smaller level, roughly 5% of aerobic metabolism. Uh, and pyruvic acid uh, is also uh, a byproduct here. Uh, you know, we're, we're producing more pyruvate than, right, we're 5% is efficient. Um, so that, that there's going to be some buildup there. And so this is where we start to see when we start to take out those measuring. If you've ever seen um, someone go through the process of uh, lactate testing, uh, you know, you might be running easy. You might be producing one to three millimoles when you're purely aerobic. You start to hit 13, 15, 20 millimoles. That is a highly acidic environment. And again, we can't exist in these highly acidic environments without being able to slow down. And so we can only sustain those things for a certain amount of time. And so again, what is fitness? Fitness is our ability to resist fatigue. How is fatigue generated? Well, fatigue happens right? When we're, we either lose that nerve impulse at the very top end of things when we're going really fast, or we start to deplete our glycogen. We've all heard of that. That's, that's hitting the wall. Well, now you guys understand that this is a process. And so if we're trying to build our ability to go really long, say a hundred mile race, 200 mile race, where should most of our fitness be built? where we're going to go through the most aerobic processes because we need to get really good at not only telling our body, hey, we're going to go through this process a whole lot. You can see this in training. I need more mitochondria. I also need more capillaries to go through this process. And so we build both capillary density. We build more mitochondria. And so this is where we start to think, okay, I need to build up some fatigue but if I always want to stay a little bit fatigued to create a more efficient process, because this is where I like to use a paperclip analogy. If you took a paperclip and you bent it 30 times and you set it down and you picked it up a month later and you bent it another 30 times, it's going to break. Whereas your body, if you train, so you bend your, bend you, right? Apply stress. You're going to ultimately end up getting stronger with rest right? So now if I take that paperclip and I bend it 30 times and then tomorrow I bend it 30 times, it's still going to break. That month didn't do anything for me. 
Okay. Now, if we take that same analogy and say, I bend it five times and then tomorrow I bend it five times and then I bend it five times, I'm going to probably get through 12 days with that paperclip before it finally breaks on that last day. If you were to go out and apply stress five miles a day, the next day, five miles a day, five miles a day, in 12 days, you're not going to break. Now, again, I'm assuming you've done some training before this. I digress. Your body is adaptable. It's regenerative and it's able to build a tolerance. And so this is where we start to think about the top end level of training is lactate tolerance. And so tolerance is is just a word that we're going to use right now to basically explain our ability to both manage aerobic metabolism and anaerobic metabolism, that our tolerance is both mitochondrial density, our ability to resist fatigue and basically build the tolerance. Because if you've ever run, you know, 20 mile weeks, eventually that 20 mile week doesn't really elicit any sort of response from you anymore. So then where do we go from there? We either add more mileage or we shift the stimulus that we're given. And so the shifting of stimulus is where lactate, you know, levels really start to come into play is we want to start to build our ability for our body to both produce lactate, but also to mitigate lactate, right? With less recovery. So we can think of this as going and running 400s. You're going to build up your lactate and your body's going to shuttle lactate away. And we're going to get really good at that process. And eventually we have to stop running 400s because we're We've depleted our glycogen stores, and reasonably speaking, we're going to start to do muscular damage if we keep going. Yes, you could keep going, but the right amount, there is a sweet spot in there. But what we're doing by doing this process of increasing lactate levels and reducing lactate levels is basically teaching our body to say like, oh, okay, I don't need to produce quite as much because I've built a tolerance. Your body's ability to, right, because you've spent aerobic time here and built a ton of mitochondria, now what used to build up a ton of pyruvic acid doesn't do that as much anymore, right? A 400 at seven-minute pace isn't going to produce as much lactate as one as six-minute does later on in the cycle. So again, that's how we continue to kind of layer fitness and truly build fitness is we're going through these biological processes where we become more resistant to our natural waste products, cell biology. So let's bring it all back. So how, how does this really show up? Uh, to me, you know, aerobic metabolism happens slow enough that we can manage all of the waste byproduct, the pyruvic acid. Um, this produces, you know, roughly one to three millimoles of lactate at an aerobic level. Uh, as our heart rate and demands increase, so does the waste products that are there. And again, we go back to that nerve impulse. That's what's going to really slow us down. So we need more mitochondria to both produce more ATP, but also to get better at managing the byproduct of the Krebs cycle and electron transport is being able to utilize that pyruvic acid to create energy. You see where this is all going. We eventually get to a point where this is why high-level endurance athletes need to run as many miles as they do to continue to improve and to continue to build fitness. And so there are other pieces that come into play, right? Hemolysis, muscular breakdown from pounding into the ground. Those come into play and aren't just a cellular biology. There is, of course, cellular biology that's happening, but they're not directly associated with the Krebs cycle and electron transport. And so there are some things that are outside of our control there, um, environment, other things like that, how quickly, um, you know, hydration, um, how quickly um, 
you know, we may be respirating due to altitude, other things like that, uh, that may push us from an aerobic state to an anaerobic state. Um, so, so what I really want to say here is that, um, you know, when we, when we can no longer, when we are dominated by the process of, of anaerobic metabolism, what ends up happening is we build a, a resistance there and we end up creating kind of a new homeostasis and we shift that homeostasis when we take a rest week. And so this is that fourth variable is really understanding rest and regeneration. So we talked about how it shows up in the lactate shuttling process of doing intervals, but also the idea of regeneration I don't think is talked about enough is that when we're actually taking a rest day, when you're actually taking the time to allow your body to absorb the training, this is my personal idea of this idea of absorption is we have to really look at this and say it is integral to being able to continue the process of training is that if we're always um, trying to do these things at a high level and we never allow ourselves to come down, we never really make that big jump and hit that super compensation curve. And so the super compensation curve, most people just leave that to the idea of taper. But when you're cycling and truly going through a periodization of saying three weeks of building mileage, building intensity, then taking a week to, to come down, that is where you're letting all of these beautiful things happen. Like, yes, you're building more mitochondria in the three prior weeks. And yes, lactate shuttling is happening every single time you're working out and every run that you're doing, but you're allowing your body to regenerate and rebuild. So this means a higher quality sleep. This means that you're also able to then bounce back into the first week of your next cycle with a renewed sense of energy and a renewed sense of vigor. And this means that your glycogen stores are no longer in a partially depleted state from the last three weeks of training. Those glycogen stores are rebuilt and they're fully full. And this is kind of like going into, you know, this is, this is really being able to start that next week with full glycogen stores. And then you're working them down over three weeks rebuild. So this is that regeneration. The absorption of training is super, super important. And I think often gets overlooked because people just want to grind, 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 grind. And they never give themselves a chance to absorb because it's, oh, it's weakness if I take a day off or a week off. Like to do this well, you truly have to take those down weeks and rest and recover. So this is where I want to talk about running doubles. I'm going to do a whole episode on doubles. They're super cool. Um, but here's the thing is that if you run in the morning, you start to go through a recovery process. And then if you run again in the afternoon, you're asking your body to work through a fatigued state and through a fatigued process. And so what used to fatigue you, like one 10 mile run will always be harder than two fives. But from a physiological perspective and a biological perspective, you're teaching your body to say, hey, I need the ability to do this. So this is kind of a, you know, if there is such a thing as a hack, um, this is a great way to help build fitness a little bit quicker is by running doubles. They're only really effective, though, if you've been training for three to five years at a pretty high level. Otherwise, you're just going to break down faster and go into your workouts in a more under recovered state. So again, know how to use them, use them wisely. And that's why for most people, unless they're hitting a place of maybe 60 miles a week and they've been there for a while, I'm not going to give people doubles. Those singles are still super valid and super important because they need to execute their workouts and not come in and show up fatigued all the time. So again, knowing how to use that and when to use that is, is my job, uh, but I'm glad you guys know all about it. Last thing I'm going to say here, we're going to talk about genetics for a second here. Um, 
and, and kind of the limitations of where does this fall then? Well, when we think of slow twitch muscles versus fast twitch muscles, um, you know, we think about sprinting, we engage those fast twitch muscles, which means they're part of the solution or part of the problem, however you look at it, in terms of how well you can perform an event. And I'm talking about you specifically. Um, if you have a large number of slow twitch muscles, so, you know, your, your muscular density may be an 80, 20 or 70, 30, or you may be 90, 10, um, and have a high amount of fast twitch muscles, which means that you're going to be better at sprinting than me. I have knowing, knowing myself over the years, I have a large number of slow twitch muscles. My, my muscle density is, is definitely leans towards slow twitch. And so that means that I'm best at, aerobic metabolism and workouts and things like that I really are really challenging to me at a muscular level, very uncomfortable for me as well uh, when we think of high lactic um, intervals. So when we start to think about this, this is where we can start, start to talk about zones. But let's, let's, let's go here. I want you guys to know, you guys all, everybody in, in the entire world knows who Usain Bolt is. Now, here's the thing is that you can train anybody to do anything, but you can't train everybody to do a thing at a world-class level, and this is where it's really key. Usain Bolt could run a marathon. He absolutely could if he wanted to. He could train himself to do so. Now, would he do it at the same level that he races the 100 meters at? Absolutely not. It's just he's not going to be up there with Kipchoge, even if he trained exactly the same way as Kipchoge did, because physiologically, their makeup is different. The number of fast-twitch muscles that uh, Usain Bolt has is significantly higher than Kipchoge. Both are fast, but both are fast relatively. The same, same could be said. Is Kipchoge going to keep up with Usain? I think not. Especially over a hundred meters. So as we think about this, um, you know, this is where we can start to say, okay, what's really happening now when we talk about zones? Why do we use a zonal methodology? And so I realize this has been a, a, a big, big circle to come back to talk about training is really looking at it and saying that for us, zone one, zone two, um, you know, low speed, uh, predominantly slow twitch muscle activation in terms of fibers, APD production is low to moderate. ATP production is mostly through fats. So this is where fat oxidation, uh, lipolysis, uh, or lipolysis, someone's going to correct me, please just tear me up over the internet uh, for getting this wrong. Uh, but basically this fat oxyge uh, oxidation happens through gluconeogenesis and we're able to utilize fat as fuel. We're also able to use our onboard stores. We have a ton of stores in our body, enough to last us multiple days without actually intaking calories. Very uncomfortable. That's ketosis and ketogenics and then we're way not gonna talk about that today. But basically, slow-twitch fibers have higher amounts of mitochondria uh, and allow them to take up the pyruvate that's produced um, from glycolysis. Um, and, you know, basically, this is the process of aerobic metabolism. So you're well below your aerobic threshold. Um, and basically, aerobic threshold, and this is your AE, so lowercase, capital A, lowercase E, capital T, your aerobic threshold is indicated by when you start to recruit fast twitch muscle fibers. So you are truly only aerobic when you are recruiting your slow twitch muscle fibers. Now, here's where we come back to my initial discussion around plateauing and zone three. So this is where you start to recruit some, 
fast twitch fibers, but still majority slow twitch. Uh, so this mixed fat and sugar is fuel. So this is where I say like, we can definitely train here. This is that tempo space and this could maybe be marathon ish pace, half marathon ish pace. Um, but what, where a lot of people get stuck and maybe this is the long winded way of me saying stop training in zone three every day is people go out every single day and they do something that is moderately hard and feels productive. But what they're doing is they're sending their body a very weird signal of saying, Hey, fat oxidation, psych, we're going to go through glycolysis. Well, okay, gluconeogenesis, wait, no glycolysis, uh, uh, this thing that happens. So we're sending this very mixed signal when we go out and do this every day. But what happens here is that we start to really break things down and we create a lot of metabolic waste when we go out and go moderately hard and we do it every single day. Because here's the thing is that we're actually able to go out and have a regenerative run when we go out and run easy. So we can do a hard workout and then go out and run easy the next day, right? That is part of the process of telling our body, hey, more mitochondria, hey, we, we need to rebuild these glycogen stores even faster. So when we go out and we kind of go hard every day, we're never really allowing our body to go through that regenerative phase. We're, we're always kind of beating the same drum, the same pattern, and never really allowing ourselves to fully recover or go hard enough that our body gets really good at shuttling lactate. It's just kind of this intermediate area that feels like progress, but really all you've done is built some fitness to be able to sit at a plateau. You're not actually really going through the process of having a dynamic level of training, teaching your body to go through and utilize free fatty acid or get really good at using that glycogen store. So these people that go out and run zone three, can you guess roughly in the marathon where they fall apart? About 18, 19, because their body isn't really any good at being able to have stayed aerobic early on in the race and utilized free fatty acid. They start to hit that aerobic threshold too early and they start recruiting more fast twitch fibers, which then start to go through the process of getting very acidic, that acidic acid, you know, the acid buildup happens, their nerve impulses start to slow down, they start to cramp up, they start to lock up, and they may have trained plenty of miles, but they trained a majority of them in zone three instead of truly sticking to an aerobic state and having a a highly anaerobic state and allowing their body to actually shift everything up. Instead, they just shifted everything into this one area where they're kind of good at you know, fat, free fatty acid usage and kind of good at carbohydrate usage. And so this mixed message end up failing you in the middle of the race that matters most to you, the one that you've been training for, for the last 20 weeks or what have you. So just understand that there is a method to the madness behind these aerobic and long aerobic phases of keeping you in zone one and zone two for a really long time. And why we sometimes go through the process of not touching these areas until we have the capacity to be able to truly recover from these high anaerobic or uh, lactate threshold level workouts. So when we think zone three, that is really why I have such an issue with it is because it's not actually going to get us any further down the road. It just gets us further up onto the plateau. So let's end things out with, with the idea of understanding that the, the rate limitations that happen now are starting to become really important, right? We, we start to get into that hydrogen-rich environment that pyruvic acid, pyruvate shows up, and we're not able to 
pull it all away because we're no longer right in zone four, zone five. We're no longer going through aerobic metabolism or just barely if we are. And again, this is where we get really good at, Hey, I can run really fast aerobically and now I'm running really, really fast anaerobically. So as ATP turnover increases in zone four, zone five, you surpass basically your, your, your next major threshold. So this is the lactate threshold. So beyond LT, uh, you are now at a place where uh, pyruvate and lactic are pushed beyond the rate of removal. Those hydrogen positive ions build up within the muscle and the buildup slows down ATP production. And this is why we effectively slow down. Um, so intervals over LT are basically um, providing that acidic environment uh, we recover and we repeat until we're out of fuel, right? Fuel becomes our limitation. Our glycogen stores become our limitation. And so again, our ability to have a large aerobic capacity ultimately defines how much glycogen we have on store and our burn rate. If we are well conditioned for above LT work because we've got a, a we, we slowly burn that glycogen or we use less glycogen at those upper areas. That's why we can do 20 by 400 that when you started 10 by 400, you know, had you feeling the same amount of tired. It's the translative process of training. It's why we train. It's what we do. It's what your body's going through. And so the whole idea of hiring someone like myself or following a plan is that this translative process of being able to build fitness, it takes time. Rest is important. So all of this really kind of comes together is that we kind of have to you know, think of this as a polished and put together process that we're going to go through a base phase. We're going to go through maybe a hill phase, or we're going to go through a, a lactate threshold phase, and then maybe some VO2 max and really specific endurance and saying, oh man, I'm going to nail this pace and see if I can get my ability to run, say, sub three hour marathon pace as close to my aerobic threshold as possible so that I'm delaying the effects of anaerobic metabolism as much as I can, right? I think it's 96% aerobic metabolism, 4% anaerobic metabolism for the highest level marathon runners. And by majority, when you run a marathon, you want to be about 96 and four, you start to shift down into the events and you start to see that they become less and less aerobic, but aerobic ability and that capacity still determines our ability to run fast. So that's why you still see people that are running five Ks in 1340 or what have you still have to run a ton of mileage because that mileage, that aerobic mileage still determines their ability to run fast at high lactate levels. So with that said, I hope this was a really cool episode for you guys. This is one that I have been thinking about and trying to write and really put these show notes together around because I think this is one that really helps answer some questions about why are we doing what we're doing when we're doing it? Why, why don't we do base later? Why don't we do base last? Why don't we all drive it up to a point where we're doing our highest mileage, the most amount of our high lactate work at the same time? Well, the reality is, is that we have to, it has to be something that we can manage from an energy standpoint. At the end of the day, let's go back to the number one thing that training is, right? Endurance is our body's ability to resist fatigue. So if we're running the most mileage that we can, and we're also running uh, the hardest and fastest intervals, we're just too fatigued where there's no recovery stimulus in there because we're beating it all the way down at the aerobic level and, and diminishing glycogen stores and not truly or fully replenishing them. And then we're just hammering them out again with high anaerobic work. It doesn't work. And so this is why 
I have looked at training as a capacity approach. Build the machine, build the ability to have capacity first. And then we get specific and then we get fast. We do the speed work. We build the good mechanics so that we have a metabolic efficient machine all the way across the board from start of the cycle to the end of the cycle. It continues to build, build, build a little bit. And then we build the mechanically efficient machine, the one that's got great turnover and good cadence and focus on that. And so that's why you'll see things from me about why we have to run principles of training and understand this. And that's why this discussion happens. But then that's also why you'll see me post things about how do we do drills and how do we do mechanics? Because it's all part of training. It's all about how we resist fatigue because your capacity can't save you if your mechanics are total crap, if you're running inefficiently and you look like spaghetti flying down the road. So all of this comes together and this is what training really is. This is training at the nitty gritty level. Why do we do 400s versus 600 versus 800s is a totally different podcast for another day. But what I would love from you guys, if you guys have made it all the way here, I would love to see from you guys comment on our Instagram. Um, and in this episode, let me know that you guys saw this. Um, you know, we're working really hard to try and deliver content to you guys that is applicable, that helps you grow both as an athlete. If you're listening to this as a coach or a newer coach, feel free to shoot me an email, andrew at lifelongendurance.com. I'm happy to answer any questions that you guys have. I will work really hard for our listeners uh, and make sure that you guys understand exactly what's going on so that you guys can train your best and race your best. I hope you guys really enjoyed this and I will see you guys next week.